Welcome back to the Yet Worth podcast, and thanks for joining us for our last episode of our series that breaks down the four parts of our ebook, Planting the Seed, 20 Ways to Preserve Your Yet Worth, which you can find at yetworth.com slash ebook. Uh, we usually introduce ourselves. I'm Emma, and this is my co-host, Max. Hey, everybody. In our final episode here, we're tackling our favorite part, individual coverage, and this is our favorite because... It's most applicable to most of our main audience, which is a lot of business owners. This includes sole proprietors, independent contractors, and 1099 employees who are generally not eligible for group employee benefits, nor are they automatically enrolled in state disability benefit programs. Therefore, they must turn to the individual marketplace with help from an advisor. The solutions we'll be discussing in this episode are annuities, life insurance, long-term care insurance, critical illness coverage, and individual disability insurance. So let's hop into annuities. Annuities are a form of longevity insurance. And for a single lump sum premium, typically around six figures, an annuity promises a monthly or annual payment on a predetermined schedule and typically lasts for the insured's lifetime or sometimes longer. So that's the basics. What are some real-life examples of using annuities, and who typically has them, and why? So I heard a financial advisor talking about this recently, and, and he explained that um, it doesn't matter so much what your assets are in retirement. What's mostly important is your retirement income and what's coming in, whether it's from assets, like as an interest, uh, you know, return on investment kind of interest that gets paid out or if it's from an asset base that you're liquidating over time, um, or social security, which is essentially a form of an annuity. Uh, but what an annuity ultimately is, and the best way to think about it is, is retirement income. And the way it works is there are longevity credits, right? So the, that's really the power, the vehicle, the leveraging all stems from this longevity credit system that's within the annuity. So basically, you know, the uh, one way, one mental model that might help if you're not familiar with annuities is just understanding that it's a form of longevity insurance, right? So uh, it, it's basically this insurance vehicle is created so that you never outlive your income source. Uh, and so that's great when they are using um, longevity credits and you're closer towards retirement, not, you know, normal retirement age, uh, but does not work very well for people who are still in their working years. And I'll kind of break that down a little bit more here, too. So when these longevity credits are being calculated, what they're doing is essentially if you're if you're handing over a big lump sum of money, you know, 100,000 or more, always, almost always, uh, it's going to be in that range, sometimes millions of dollars. You want to um, understand that the insurance company is going to try to make money on this, right? <laughs> They're always going to try to make money on whatever sort of premium you're putting in in the pot. And so the way they do that is, well, they, they basically look at their actuarial data and they make a bet against you, right? That, that's how virtually every insurance system works is, um, you know, they hope that you are uh, statistically average and because they can win based on the law of averages. And so what happens is if you're 80, you know, if they're using a statistical average of, uh, of uh, life expectancy at age 85, um, in the United States, then you are, uh, you know, they're basically saying that you're going to die before age 85 and then they can, they can win. They will get more, 
from the more value from your premium than you would get from your benefit. Um, and if you're age 35 trying to buy one of these policies, if you're putting in $100,000, well, that's 50 years of benefits. So they're not going to give you a very big benefit at all because the, I, you know, the, the possibility that you, um, that you die before that is going to be, is, you know, they, they have to basically make sure that they're not going to pay the entire house out before your death. And so that longevity doesn't have very much power when you're, again, in your working years, even in your 50s. I mean, you got 30 more years, 35 more years to hit, hit you know, average life expectancy. So this is really designed for people in their 60s, 70s, 80s uh, to, to have that lifetime income source and not for people in their working years. So just to quickly rule it out, really not part of the income planning income protection planning strategy that we would incorporate for people in their working years. Yeah, I like that you say they're going to try to stretch out that money. So to reiterate, it's not going to replace your monthly income because it's going to be a much smaller benefit each month. Um, since if you're 35 in this example and you've got 50 years and it's $100,000, they're they're going to stretch that out and um, it'll be a nice little paycheck, but it's not going to replace what you would be making if you were working. Right. And just surface level, using that same example, 35, uh, using $100,000 buy-in on this annuity, you know, even if you're able to execute, I don't even think that you necessarily can for a lot of people. You might have to wait until a certain age. Um, but even if you if you used it right there and started receiving benefits right then and there at age 35, that would be 50 years. So that's, you know, $100,000 divided by 50 it'd be $2,000 annually that you could extract. This policy. And that, again, this yeah. is just quick math. This is not designed to be, you know, an actual annuity conversation, but just to give you a sense of what, what the carrier framework is and how they're going to make their money on this type of investment is, you know, they're, they're not going to just give you your hundred thousand dollars back within the next five years. No, no, no. It's going to take a much longer time to extract the same amount of value that you yeah. for that premium basis. It just doesn't make sense right. um, for, the working age person. So moving on to life insurance, the average person is familiar with life insurance. It's a policy that pays a lump sum to a designated beneficiary if the insured dies. Um, it's important for those with responsibilities that would last beyond their death, in essence, children, spouses, um, and it can be pretty cheap. Term policies are pretty affordable. Um, and it's useful for most working adults to have. But we're talking about funding through a disability. So what are some ways that a life insurance policy can help an insured who's still alive? Yeah, this is a this is a growing aspect in the financial planning landscape. Um, we're seeing a lot of these life insurance policies kind of step in instead of a DI policy, and it's not always for the right reasons. So let's break it down a little bit in terms of how it's classically been used, how life insurance has traditionally been used to, to help prop up a disability scenario. Um, and then we'll kind of talk about some of the nuances today. First and foremost, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing there in a term policy, right? So you're in a term policy structure, you know, you're, let's say you buy a 30 year term policy. That means your coverage is gonna expire after 30 years. So the question is, well, what do I have growing in the pot during those 30 years? And with term policy, the answer is zero. 
you're not growing anything in that policy um, because what happens is you're just paying simply for the cost of insurance with with the term policy so essentially again back to the actuarial statistics they're saying okay what's the likelihood of you dying between age again you're just using somebody age 35 uh, to retirement age which would be 60 or you know 65 on a 30-year policy uh, so from 35 to 65 chances of you dying is extremely low so you get a very cheap policy. You can probably buy a million dollars for 30 years for like a thousand bucks annually, right? So that's not that's not a lot. It's not going to break the bank. Um, but you know, if you're making 100 grand, that's you know 10 times your income that pays out during your working year. So that's that's pretty good. That's good leveraging for a thousand dollars, right? Um, the problem is, uh, again, it's not going to have any cash value built up in that policy. And cash values. Really, kind of this. It's a it's a feature on permanent life insurance. So you've got term, and then you've got permanent. Permanent life insurance can be really valuable uh, for in certain circumstances, right? Uh, and so it's really kind of uh, not a, um, a darling of the certainly the fee only financial space. Uh, people who are not compensated based on on uh, commissions and stuff like that, they don't gravitate towards the life insurance, the permanent life insurance structure quite as much. Um, is it because of the commissions? I won't wade into that territory today, but, uh, but the reason they don't like it typically is because it's just so damn expensive, so expensive to, to fund a policy that's guaranteed to pay out like a million dollars of coverage when you're in your thirties, you're going to have that policy for 50, 60, 70 years. Um, it's going to be really, um, you know, it's guaranteed to pay out somewhere along the way. Nobody gets out of here alive. So we, you know, the, the guaranteed nature of that um, means that the premiums are going to be significantly more expensive. But on top of that, these permanent policies typically are building a cash reserve within the policy. So say that your premium is now $10,000 annually, which is actually pretty on par for a 35-year-old. It could, it could be around that easily, uh, depending on health and, and other determinants. But um, the main point there is, you know, you might be paying, you know, easily six to 10 times more than what you would on a term policy for the same amount of life insurance. But what's happening is when you're putting that 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 $10,000 annual premium in, into this policy, what's happening is that that cash value, that cash reserve inside the policy is growing at a predetermined amount. So there's usually a guaranteed component, which is going to show you a much smaller, slower growth type of cash value scenario. And then there's a non-guaranteed, which is usually based on, you know, ideally these policies are shown, or these illustrations are shown, um, showing a non-guaranteed rate that's based on current rates. So current assumptions, current market environments and conditions. Um, oftentimes you have a much more aspirational non-guaranteed, which is where people get into big trouble and they start doing their client a huge disservice. It's just basically saying, you know, well, this policy, if things go this way, then it's going to pay, you know, you're going to 10x your return and stuff. Because what's happening in that cash value reserve is it's it's growing uh, based on whatever the projected or predetermined interest rate is. Um, now, there's a lot of confusion with the advisor within the advisor community around some of the charges and things that are deducted from the premium. So what happens is, and this wasn't meant to be a diatribe about permanent life insurance, but <laughs> but something to be aware of is is a the cost of insurance within that policy. So yes, it might be growing at four or six percent a year, um, but they have the they meaning the carrier has the ability to set the cost of insurance in any given year down to the guaranteed level. 
So, um, you know, that guaranteed is really important to understand, like that's your de minimis, that's, you know, the least you can make on the, on the policy after a while. Uh, but, you know, you also have the pressure of keeping the policy in force. So you have to come up with that 10 grand a year. Otherwise, the policy will have to borrow against the cash value, which can really put your whole cash value into a tailspin and ultimately um, end up in, in a lapse scenario where the policy just, uh, you know, fizzles out and dissolves. So that could be a problem. But these these charges, you know, are usually pretty reasonable. They're charging about what it costs on the term market at that time. But there are scenarios where that has gone up over time. You know, the, the you know, there's going to be certain factors based on market conditions, whether it's a low interest rate environment or or, um, you know, a mass casualty event. Hopefully that doesn't happen again. But that's the kind of stuff that could affect the charges. It could just be a bad financial scenario for one particular carrier. So, you know, there's things that can change within the policy. It's a bit of a black box um, that I think a lot of people overlook when they're talking about permanent life insurance. So you got to go with a reputable carrier with strong financials and the whole thing uh, and also have some faith in the market conditions or at least rely on that guaranteed uh, figure, which isn't going to be as attractive if you're trying to sell a policy like this. That said, the cash value within these policies is a really dynamic component that allows people to tap into a tax-free benefit uh, for virtually any reason. Um, now, so if you become disabled and you have $400,000 stashed in one of these cash value policies because you've been putting in $10,000 over the last 40 years, well, you'd have, you have you get the sense that you'd be older at that point. Certainly, that's one thing. It takes a while for this stuff to accrue. It's not just overnight. Uh, so there's, that's a big problem with relying on, on cash value specifically. It takes a long time to accrue. So, you know, if you're hoping for a good disability benefit, something happens to you within the next three years, five years, 10 years, you're not going to see much of anything there. It's going to be probably below the amount that you've put into the policy because they're taking those charges out every year. So the, uh, you know, and that's, you know, if you're paying 10,000 a year over 10 years, that's a hundred thousand, your cash value will not be at a hundred thousand typically. Uh, for the first 10 years, certainly not on any guarantees that I've ever seen, because there's going to be charges and stuff that that uh, they have to extract from your cash value to pay for the insurance. So that's the big that's the big downside, I think, on the on relying on this cash value is it just takes a long time to accrue, just like it would in the market or self-insuring in some other fashion. Um, the uh, now going over to what we see today and how permanent life insurance is really starting to affect market behavior in the DI space, um, what people end up doing or what carriers have done over time and where it, some advisors are really gravitating um, for a few different reasons is selling these permanent life insurance policies that have some some sort of disability rider. Usually mm -hmm. it's a chronic illness rider. Uh, the terms are very fluid. I mean, it can it changes depending on the carrier. So you have to read those terms so carefully and understand that it's got to be their definition. It's got to meet that carrier's definition of a chronic illness. There's no federally standardized definition uh, for chronic illness. And people are usually using these for some sort of long-term care application these days. But, um, but you know, you see it in the DI space too, where they say, oh, you get a monthly benefit if, if you need it for a disability scenario. Well, if it's a chronic illness scenario, not necessarily an injury scenario. And where does that money come from is the other question, right? Is it coming from some sort of cash value reserve? Typically, no. Generally, what we're seeing is it's an accelerated death benefit, which means, you know, if you've got a million dollars of coverage, that is going to that million dollars of death benefit is going to be reduced for every monthly benefit that 
it does pay out if you are in fact uh, eligible for that for the chronic illness rider or something to that effect. So you got to be aware that you know if you're using this strategy, it will extract directly from your death benefit, which might be there for a reason, right? If you have estate planning needs, that death benefit is going to be important to keep intact. So you don't want to draw it down. Mm -hmm. If you have legacy planning needs, you know, if you're giving to your family, you had a certain set amount, you don't want to get it to zero or close to zero. And then, you know, have the $20,000 left over for all your family who was expecting, you know, 200,000 uh, each or something like that. So you got to be aware of the downsides and, and the trade-offs that come with these policies. And the way I've always talked about them is it's like using a spork, right? You've got this, you've got this utensil that's really handy for a couple different things, but there's a really good reason why nobody sits down to dinner with a spork every night. We have a fork, <laughs> we have a spoon, and we have a knife, and we have these very specific utensils. And even though we're doing two to three times the amount of dishes, oh my God, it's it's understood that there's there's certain utility with each utensil. So mm -hmm. same thing here. I mean, if you're going to be looking at you know one of these policies that's going to be five to six times more expensive than a term life policy, well, you need to have five to six times more value in that policy as well. And I would argue that you don't because what you could do instead is buy a term policy for a thousand dollars, have a disability insurance policy for another thousand, and then have you know that extra. Uh, 8,000 to invest in the market or do whatever you want and invest in yourself, yet not just put it in the S&P, put it in the S&ME and actually <laughs> boost your income and do better things with that money as you grow your career, grow your personhood. That's what I would argue would be the best case scenario for most people. Again, I don't want to be too prescriptive here, but this, this is the nature of the conversation you need to be having with your advisor. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to note um, that to be eligible for chronic illness rider is usually very restrictive. I mean, it's like you're you're dying at that point. So usually yeah. so yeah. Um, it's it's, it's not just like a yeah, it's not like a routine, you know, disability where you're, you're expecting to recover. It's it's usually expected that it's terminal. So um but one last thing about life insurance is that is uh, viatical settlements. You know, we have to touch upon this. Um, so and this this is um, something you can do even with a term policy. Basically, if you need the money right away and um, you're willing to part with that death benefit because for some reason you decided that's not necessary anymore or the money now is more important you there are companies that will purchase your life insurance policy from you um, at a discounted rate so you're not getting the full benefit that you would with the death benefit um, but you're getting that money now while you're still alive and then that company then owns the is the beneficiary of that policy and will receive the death benefit once you do die it's going to be pennies on the dollar though so you're not going to get that million dollar payout if you have a million dollar death benefit in this scenario. You're going to end up getting, well, gosh, I'm totally guessing, but it, it's going to be a fraction of that. Mm -hmm. but you have yeah. immediate liquidity in that scenario. They're obviously going to right. underwrite your scenario, too, and say, well, just how terminal are you? So you're going to get mm -hmm. access to everything. <laughs> I joke that you'll probably even get some cool flyers in the mail about hot air balloon riding and things like that so that they can speed up the death claim a little bit. Oh, no. That's a joke, but but yeah, that's that's kind of you know 
that that's sort of the feeling with this personally. There you have it. A dive into income replacement options on an individual coverage level. We just finished part one, which covers annuities and life insurance. Stay tuned for part two, where we discuss long-term care insurance, individual disability income, and critical illness coverage.